From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On the first episode of this new miniseries, we learned about the tone Urban Meyer set when he took control of the program in 2005, building momentum with a strong finish down the stretch. As 2006 arrived, the old guard had been mostly whipped into shape, and they would be joined by a recruiting class littered with players who would soon become legends. This is Trail to Glendale, Episode 2, First Class. In the short term, Coaching transitions often lead to subpar recruiting results, as the new staff scrambles to hold on to previous commitments while securing new ones from the slim pickings usually left that late in the process. For that reason, the second go-round is usually recognized as a coach's first real class, and in that respect, Urban Meyer and his staff delivered beyond measure. That group was, of course, highlighted by Tim Tebow, who was primarily recruited by co-defensive coordinator Greg Madison, who knew from the outset he was stalking a star. You know, I, I felt it all the way. I had no doubt about it. 100%. Really? I recruited him, so I knew him better than anybody else. And in fact, I went to Urban during the recruiting process, and I said, Coach, we must get this kid. We must for this program because he is special. And uh, there were a lot of other quarterbacks that might have looked flashier and everything like that. And maybe there were other coaches on our staff that wanted other quarterbacks. I said to him that, this is the kid. Every day I went to that high school. I mean, I lived at that high school and I looked at, I said, this guy is special, phenomenal family. And it was easy because Florida was a great school. Urban was a phenomenal head football coach. And so all I had to do was present that to him. And I had to convince him and have him trust that he was going to get the opportunity to be that guy. Cause we had leak there at the time. You know, and so he we had to he had to have the and he wasn't going to be one of those guys that wanted to sit for a while. I'll tell you that, you know, and so he had to believe that Urban was the kind of head coach that was going to play the best players. That's all he had to worry about or think about. And that's what he did. But the competition for Tebow was intense as the third ranked quarterback in the nation was heavily considering Alabama as well, which at the time was led by Mike Shula. On December 13th of 2005, Tebow announced his decision, which had everyone resting on pins and needles. I didn't know he was going to do it. And I was with my wife. I'll never forget it. I was with my wife and we were in the car or we, I was listening to it on a radio somewhere and he was making a press conference and I had a great relationship with him and I, I really loved the kid and his family and I'm sitting there listening and he never told me, I'm coach, I'm going to announce it. I never, I'm sitting there listening and when he got to the end and he said, I'm going to Florida. I remember saying to my wife, oh, my God. And I was just so <laughs> excited about it, you know. Uh, did, did you run off the road or were you okay? <laughs> no, I was parked. parked. I was okay, not good. driving. I would not drive listening to Tim Tebow decide where he's going. No way. The coaches obviously play a large role in recruiting, but so do the players already in the program who have the opportunity to make the hard sell during official visits on campus. But for linebacker Brandon Seiler, normally the closer when it came to locking down commitments, he was told to take a bit of a back seat when the Jacksonville native was scouting UF. 
when we had Tebow come on his official visit, I was like the main man for recruiting visits. I, I had a very high percent. And I used to get all the biggest recruits in. Um, you know, I'll take them out to the clubs and party and hang out and they would come and they would commit to the school and, and you know, we would have great friendships, you know, going forward, i.e. me and Brandon Spikes, you know, I, I recruited Spikes, you know, and <laughs> when Tebow came into town, they didn't give me Tebow. And at that time, I had no knowledge base on the whole religious background and all of that stuff. I just understood it as they tried me, right? They didn't give me the best guy in the, in the, in the country. So I remember when I got my paper, I went up to Irvin. I said, hey, I heard that uh, we got, you know, the best recruit in the country in this, this week. And Irvin said, oh, yeah, that's right. Listen, you don't go nowhere near. <laughs> and at that time, I just didn't understand what the hell he was talking about. So I was, you know, I had a little bit of an attitude about it. And, you know, he said it and he just walks off. So, you know, I'm just, I don't know what to think about it right now. So we go out, we have us a good time. We get up for breakfast in the morning. And I realized in the meeting room for breakfast, Tim Tebow table and my table, was in the opposite corners of the breakfast area. So I had, you know, a few drinks, uh, you know, the night before. So I still was feeling pretty good. So I'm, I get up and I'm beelining for Tebow's table, right? And uh, I remember Urban is standing where he can't stop me, but he's trying to, like, make eye contact with me to stop me. And I can feel him, like, staring on the side of my head, but I'm ignoring the fact that he's looking at me. And I'm just beelining for this table. So I get over there and I say, oh, so you the motherfucker they call Tim Tebow. <laughs> 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 and his whole family, his brothers, mom and dad, they crack up laughing. I mean, and I had a nice little conversation with him, you know, that time while I was sitting there, but didn't understand the dynamic, just shooting it, having a good time with it with a young guy, you know, and uh, when I got done with that for the rest of the weekend, I think they might have told me like an hour later when something really started because I didn't see Tebow for the rest of the time out on the campus. And then uh, when they actually got to campus, I remember getting a call and I get a call and uh, he said, can I speak to B-Side? I said, yeah. Well, who is this? You know, he says, it's Tim Tebow. I said, Tim Tebow? You know, he said, yeah, you know, uh, I'll see if you want to hang out. I'm like, well, you know, now at this point, I kind of understand the dynamic, you know, guy, he's been homeschooled, brought up in this religion his whole life. He knows who I am for sure. Right. The, the, the wild partying guy that's right. going crazy and doing everything and just being a being a college student. Right. And uh, I say to myself, you know, dang, man, this man must really want to be trying to get out. He calls me so he's going to campus, you know, so I go pick him up on my scooter. This time I'm living the, uh, right across the uh, street from the stadium with actually a tennis player, Rod Sherry, who's my business partner now. He, uh, we basically, I take him over there, and it was one of those times where I'm throwing the big, you know, uh, a big party where I made it mandatory for all of us guys to be there. But we were there early in the day, and me and Tim was sitting down playing Madden. And I remember I was pretty damn good at Madden, right? 
and I beat Tim. Tim beat me. I beat Tim. Tim beat me. And we were two of the most competitive dudes you could ever come across. I mean, it was best out of three, best out of five, best out of 15. I mean, we couldn't stop because we kept going and going and going. And then I realized that the whole house was crowded full of people. So I said, all right, we're going to go down to Midtown. You know, and at this time, I'm on the posters for the university, basically, you know, uh, you know, for the swamp. You know, it's me, Chris Leak, and DeGory on the posters. And, you know, I'm pretty established on campus as big man on campus, basically, right? So I take everybody down there to get in, and, you know, um, I got everybody with me. And, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm about to leave, and I say, Tim, you know, I'll take you back to the dorm if you want, you know. And he's like, well, no, I'll hang out with y'all if, if, if you let me. I said, okay, well, come on, you know, you know, baby. And and at this time, you know, we had, you know, a bunch of drinks and all of that stuff in the house. And everybody's just having their drinks before they go out or whatnot. I had a few, Tim, you know, he declined on the drinks or whatnot. So I get everybody into the club, you know, da, da, da. And Tim, you know, he's one of the last ones to come in. I go, I go in with him, and and uh, everybody's going crazy about Tim. I'm like, what is going on here, <laughs> right? Like, how this dude hasn't played a snap? Like, what, <laughs> what, what happened? What, what is so big about this dude, right? Right. So naturally, I had to take Tim and put him behind the bar so that people wasn't messing with him. You know, and I said to him, you know, put you back here. Nobody can get back here. You know, you can say, hey, to whoever, whatever, whatnot. I'm going to the middle of the dance floor because that's where I do my thing at, right? So I get to the middle of the dance floor and I'm dancing, I'm dancing. And uh, this girl, she tapped me on the shoulder. She said, you're, uh, you're, uh, and I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, yeah, it's me, you know, <laughs> big man on campus. She said, you the guy that came with Tim Tebow. I said, oh, no. <laughs> I said, no. I got him out of there so quick. Took him home. Ain't no took him out against it. I mean, I'm the guy that came with Tim Tebow. No, I'm the SEC freshman <laughs> The captain of the football team. It's not the guy that came with Tim Tebow. What are you talking about? Oh, man, you that's know? funny. So it was, it was, that was a cool experience, man. And, and Tim, I give it to Tim because Tim, um, at the time, again, you know, hindsight, at the time, I didn't understand why Tim always wanted to be around me. I tell you, Tim lived with us. Um, Tim would kind of get in my back pocket to everything that I was doing. You know, what, what Tim understood very early is that I was the leader of the team. And he wanted to know how I was the leader of the team. How could... Jimbo Tart and Marcus Thomas both have respect for me. How did I have time to hang out with Jimbo Tart and Marcus Thomas? Two totally different dynamic of guys, but two guys that be very much needed um, to win a championship and I need to make a relationship with. And I was good at making different relationships with different groups, with different people and knowing what motivates them and in turn, knowing how to lead everybody as a group. And that's something that Tim understood, knew about me, grasped early 
and but by staying around me and hanging around me all the time to do that and and he took it and and took it to the next level mm-hmm. you know over the next few years i think before tebow grew into the outsized leadership role sour described he had to get on the field which was a tricky proposition as rising senior quarterback chris leak had started every game of his career the situation required finesse and communication which urban meyer quickly identified Well, they both were going to play. And, you know, I remember the day Tim Tebow signed and obviously one of the biggest names in Florida, state of Florida uh, history. I remember calling Chris Leak because Chris Leak, you know, he, he's an ultimate team guy. I love Chris Leak and, and we needed Chris. And he was our quarterback. I told him that. And we were going to play Tim, uh, obviously, if he earned the right to play, which he did. And so the way we worked those two quarterbacks, I to this day, you know, some people have tried and I've actually tried and, and it's so hard unless you have the right people, right families involved. Because you figure, you know, here Chris League drives the team down the field and you put in Tim to score the touchdown. Uh, there's other short yardage plays and, you know, Tim gets a first down, then he comes out, Chris League goes back in. That was very, you know, if it wasn't done correctly and with the right people, that would have been impossible. Here's Chris Leak. That's the one thing I felt like Urban uh, always did for me was to reassure me that this team is going to be as successful as your performance and your production will allow it to. And that that was always, always very appreciative of that. You know, Urban, me and Urban would have a lot of uh, personal conversations that yeah, a lot of, like, a lot of the uh, media and out, I guess you would say outside sources didn't know about. Uh, and we didn't, and me, me and him never spoke about it to the media about our you know, one-on-one talks and things like that, because those things were really, really special to me was that we had that bond as a, as coach and player. But that, to me, I was very excited because the thing, the thing about my career is I came in with an elite, another elite 11 quarterback. I, I came to Florida to play, to be a part of a team that had great players and to be pushed to, to my limits as a, as a, as a great player, uh, because competition is great for everybody. It's great for everybody. It's great for your mindset. It's great for your leadership abilities, your intelligence, the way the way your work ethic is year in and year out. And I was uh, I had a different I pretty much had a different backup all four years of my career. And Tim was <laughs> Tim was uh, just a, 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 another great a quarterback to come in. Uh, we because I had some I had some quarterbacks during my career. And uh, Gavin Dickey, who was a two way player, played baseball and football, was That's incredible, right. incredible athlete. Uh, Josh Portis, who our 2005 year was an unbelievable athlete, unbelievable player, just was young. And, you know, obviously when you're young and playing the SEC, it's tough as I, <laughs> as I knew that, especially when you don't get the amount of playing time to develop. It's, it's tough, but he did an excellent job when he came in. And uh, so having Tim there was, uh, was another great opportunity. I felt to how to help a young guy come in and, and help develop. And especially it being my last year and, and my last go around of trying to win a national, a national title. And, uh, and the thing about knowing, Knowing, knowing the offense is that I, with my dad, with doing the research, as soon as Urban became the head coach, we went back and researched, you know, okay, how does he use a quarterback? And uh, even from his days at Bowling Green, at Utah with Alex Smith, um, Bowling Green at Josh Harris, he, he always had a package for a running type of quarterback, a quarterback to, you know, to do some short yards, goal line, those types of things. So it wasn't the first. So my what me and Tim had as far as offensively was not the first time that that uh, Coach Meyer had had done that. You know, he's, he did it at Bowling Green. He touched on it at Utah with Alex Smith. So it, 
I was uh, very prepared for. We did it in 2005 with Josh Portis, who was a dynamic runner uh, himself, had some very, very explosive runs throughout the season as well. So it was it was something that I was um, uh, adapting to as as the 2005 season went on and definitely into 2006, obviously with the different short yards and goal line packages that Tim performed well, uh, produced well, so, so well during his time. So it was uh, it was a great time for me to help a young guy develop and everything that happened, I guess, outside uh, really was not what's happening in-house. Mm-hmm. And we had an understanding. We had a game plan, uh, the way we practiced it. You know, we had a plan to this is how the offense was going to run. And, you know, it, and it's tough for some court. You have to be very, very unselfish in those in those days because it's tough to come out um, when you want to, you know, you want to finish as a quarterback, you want to finish drives. And there has to be a level of unselfishness between both quarterbacks. And that was the one thing uh, that I think that, that me, myself, Tim, our families handle very well is that this is the game plan that our head coach who his responsibility is to develop the team long term, uh, and we and, and we had that understanding. Was it easy? No, it's not easy. It's never it's never easy because you want to stay in the game, um, you want to finish drives, those type things. It's never easy. But the one thing you do learn is really what real leadership ability is is to serve others and to have that. The, the important things to have really a lot of emotional stability through that process because it's not easy. Because as Ir- Coach Meyer would say, that human element within us to where. You know, we have those selfish thoughts. You know, I want to finish drives. Let me stay in. But no, what's best for the team? And that was the game plan. And, and you know, whatever the game plan was, I was willing to um, do whatever it took for us to get to a national title. And um, was it easy? No, it definitely wasn't an easy process. You had to really stay focused and, and stay focused on the right things. But it was uh, it was the best thing that our coach thought for us to win each game. And that's what you have. You have to put your trust in your coach for that knowledge. Like everything else, football is ultimately about people. And as offensive coordinator Dan Mullen recalls, what made the dynamic in the quarterback room work was ultimately about their differences and how they complemented each other. You know, I think in anything, in any room, the dynamic of the different personalities makes it really unique and kind of fun. Uh, If you look at myself and Chris and Tim, Boy, I mean, there's some that's some different personalities in that room. Every day was just kind of fun because it's kind of, you know, three different people with different personalities coming together and, and, you know, just spending all of that time together. For athletic director Jeremy Foley, he quickly assessed one of the qualities Tebow became synonymous with. You know, one of my beliefs is, you know, doing what I do in my life and trying to, you know, work with people and build an organization was, I thought incredibly successful people had to have incredible energy and also incredible passion for what they did. And, and Tim Tebow had incredible, has incredible passion for life, he has incredible passion for his, for his faith, incredible passion for football, incredible passion for his teammates. You know, what you see is, I mean, it's all legit. Tim gets criticized or used to as being, you know, people didn't quite believe it. Um, you know, I lived it. I saw it. You know, obviously not as intimately as the coaches did and his teammates did. But, you know, I was enough locker rooms, enough road trips. I was around him enough. You know, his passion, his will, his, you know, he, he's the type of guy who's going to run through a, a wall to win and people are going to follow him and run through the same wall to win. He has that type of, you know, ability to inspire people. So, and I think it goes back to his passion. You know, heck, if you're in a locker room with Tim Tebow and you're not ready to go and something's wrong with you, if you don't walk <laughs> out of that lock, if you don't walk out of that locker room and you're just ready to rock, something's wrong with you. And that's how he lives his life. And, um, 
And yeah, that's what I remember. Obviously started early on, didn't know him as well as I did as when obviously through the next three years, but um, just watching him, how he played, you know, every minute, every breath uh, had incredible passion. While Tebow became the future leader of the offense, his class also included a hard-hitting linebacker who would go on to marshal the defense down the road in Brandon Spikes, who recalls Myers setting a clear expectation for him and his classmates in 2006. Oh no, he just held us at a standard, you know, even outside of, you know, the whole entire team, but he just kind of looked at us differently because he was like, hey, these are the guys, you guys are the guys I need to get done what I'm trying to do here or whatever. You know, I got a lot a lot of stuff to fix here. I, I didn't really know. I was young, right. whatever. And then I got there and I seen how things were going. You know, we had a lot, we had a lot of older guys, a lot of people with experience and, you know, Mickey Marotti was there. He was just drilling guys. But my whole thing was, I noticed that it was all about accountability, like, you know, do what you're supposed to do, be where you're supposed to be, and just handle your business. And if not, you know, you're being selfish and you let your teammate and your brother, you letting the man beside you down. So I think all of us as freshmen, we we got a lot of that as soon as we stepped on campus. So it kind of was like second nature. We kind of like built this bond, formed this bond, and it was just, you know, unbreakable. We all just bought in for the most part. So, yeah, a lot of it, I think the standard is just being accountable, you know, doing what you need to do, working hard, as simple as that. Among the many unique tactics Urban introduced to reshape the team's culture was the idea that just because you were on the team and wore the colors, that didn't automatically make you a Gator. As soon-to-be UF Hall of Famer Brandon James recalls, that designation was something incoming freshmen had to earn. When you come into camp, all the fresh, you know, you, we have these orange helmets, and you know, at, when you're in camp, of course the. Uh, our logo isn't on the helmet, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have the Gators on the helmet. You just have a blank orange helmet, but all the freshmen have black stripes on the helmet. And he would say that you're not a Gator until that stripe comes off your helmet. So, again, being a competitor and being, you know, wanting to show and prove from day one of camp, I'm working like a dog to get the stripe off my helmet. And uh, back then, we had a week of camp before we went into tour days, and I think – by that Wednesday, that third day of practice, me and Percy had already had our stripes removed. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's to me, um, I'm always a person being a coach now and, you know, going through what I went through as a player. To me, it's more important what your peers and your coaches have to say than the media and the rest of the world and what they think you can do and what you should or shouldn't be doing. So, you know, before we even went to tour days, already having my stripe off. I felt validated already. Like, look, I was the three-star out of this recruiting class. No one expected me to be crap. And my stripe, my stripe came off the same time as the parade All-American Percy Harvin. So, you know, I'm good. <laughs> you know, <but> let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's just keep working. Let's just keep doing everything I can do. And, you know, everything will work out in my favor. The All-American James is referring to is, of course, Percy Harvin, who had a highlight reel from high school in Virginia that had Myron Mullen salivating over what he could bring to the table. Percy Harvin was a no-brainer from the day he stepped foot on campus. He's one of the best athletes I've ever seen in a football helmet, and it was immediate. We need to find ways to get him involved in the offense. Well, I think Percy was a guy that, you know, coming in and coming out of high school, I thought was the most dynamic high school football player I've ever seen. And uh, he was a guy, we had a great receiving core that year, you know, with uh, Dallas Baker and Jamel Cornelius and Bubba Caldwell. 
you know, Cornelius Ingram. I'm sure I left somebody out. You know, when Percy came in there, you know, it was one of those that was a really unique situation because, you know, we had time with, with those veteran receivers. He got to learn how those guys worked and ran routes and how they became every down players. But he was so dynamic and he was extremely football intelligent that we wanted to create, you know, we had get it to plays for him that we were just going to find different ways to get him the ball and create matchups all over the field. And, you know, so, you know, every game, you know, if you look back, he would, you know, he'd get anywhere from, uh, you know, 15 to 20 plays a game probably that season. But in those plays he was in, I mean, you know, over, I bet over 50% of the time he touched the ball. You know, we always had this package on whether it was getting him at running back or lining him up at, at, at receiver or snapping it to him as the quarterback in a direct snap. And uh, we just created get it to make sure we had the ball in his hands. And, you know, I mean, he was such a dynamic, special player with the ball in his hands. And, you know, it showed that that game. I think it was if you go to the SEC championship game where he was named the MVP. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to guess. I think he only played about 18 or 19 plays in the game and was the MVP of the game <laughs> uh, because of the matchup problems that he would cause defenses. You know, they're looking and saying, OK. He would come in and he's at running back or he's the fifth wide receiver because all the others were the starters. And so they're putting their fifth corner on him or they're, they're bat, you know, you're creating unbelievable matchups. And the great thing he brought, he was such a smart football player. He could learn all the different ways and the different concepts that we were going to use him in to get him the ball every single week. Harvin's explosive talent was undeniable, regardless of your perspective, as even teammates like Siler and Leak marveled at what he could do. I always tell people Percy got off the bus as the best person on the team. You know, when Percy got there, you know, you could look up and be like, who in the hell is that? Right. Percy got there and Percy would have, you know, our freshman year probably would have been one of the best guys in the NFL. Now, Percy couldn't stand to practice. Right. And, you know, some guys just can turn it on and turn it off. And when those guys that can turn it on and turn it off, it's hard for you to make those guys like the example of what you should be doing 24-7 because they're going to be ready when the light turn on. But all the rest of these guys, if they prepare like that person prepared, they ain't going to be ready. Percy always going to be ready. You turn the lights on, give them the ball and watch them go. You know what I'm saying? Try to find a way to give it to them. If you can't throw it to them, hand it to them. Give it to them somehow and let them go. You know what I'm saying? That was just the dynamic talent that person was. Well, yeah, one of the things I, I really enjoyed about being at Florida was the level of athlete, the level of athletes that we had year in and year out. Um, all the way to my freshman year, guy, a guy like Kiwan Ratliff, a guy like Andre Caldwell, Dallas Baker, Chad Jackson, who are all big, strong, fast, athletic. They can catch, they can run. But Percy was like a hybrid of all those guys kind of put together. And his ability to catch the ball and and run with it was was really uncanny to anybody I've ever seen. He was like the first, really, in my opinion, the first guy that you would saw like a Peter Warwick or a Reggie Bush within the SEC. And a guy that was so dominant when the ball was in his hands and you can put him anywhere. Um, you can put him back at quarterback and put him at running back, receiver, H back. Cause guy, the guy can block. The guy can, he can throw. <laughs> he can even throw <laughs> the ball at times. He can obviously can do all the things that you want to do at receiver and running back. He was one of those players that you don't see come around every year. And it was very, really, really special to see him grow. 
Given the infusion of new, game-changing talent and experienced veterans ready to make the 100th season of Florida football one for the ages, Brandon James felt the ingredients were there for the Gators to begin their rise. So I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys that grew up watching college football. So like before I went to Florida, I was watching Florida the year before. You know what I mean? I seen them be one game away basically from being in Atlanta in Coach Meyer's first year. You know what I mean? So I knew they were right on the cusp. So then you get there and then you meet Jarvis Moss and uh, Marcus Thomas and Reggie Nelson and, you know, all these different great players, Chris Lee. And they've went through so much, a different co- a coaching change, a, a totally different program. And, you know, having to buy into what Coach Meyer was saying, and it's, it's totally opposite of what Coach Zook was doing. And so you've seen the passion and just, you know, foaming at the mouth, ready to prove that, hey, we want to leave our legacy on this school at this school. So as freshmen, we came in just seeing all that and just following their lead. And just telling ourselves, like, look, when we get our opportunity, we're not going to let these guys down because they've, they've been through a lot. They've worked really hard. So we're just going to put ourselves in positions and never say to never let those guys be able to say, like, man, you guys need to pick it up or you guys are letting us down or, you know, you're not doing X, Y and Z. And so, you know, we've seen that early on summer workouts and all that. Those guys were great leaders. They uh, Brandon Silo always would pull me to the side, man. And, and you know, because the famous make you miss drill, he couldn't tackle me. And he was our all SEC linebacker. And he would always say, man, if I can't tackle you, nobody in the country can. <laughs> and so, you know, all those things, those relationships that I had with all those different guys, because crazy to believe I had better relationships at the time with all the defensive guys than the guys I played offense with, Deshaun Wynn, Bubba Caldwell, all these guys that were great players that played offense, you know, Marcus Thomas, Jarvis Moss, Brandon Siler, Reggie Nelson, they all gravitated towards me and had me uh, up under their arms and up under their wing. And so it was one of those things where I didn't want to let those guys down or you know, I wanted to live up to what they seen me do. And, um, you know, so to answer your question early on, I knew we could be special, um, but it was one of those things game by game. You just got to take it a game at a time and man, and, and, and do your job week after week. Here's redshirt freshman receiver David Nelson. The 06, what we were able to do in 06 was just incredible. If you think about the fact that Coach Meyer's offense is really catered around players like Percy Harvin like Jeff Demps, Chris mm-hmm. Rainey, uh, Tim Tebow, Alex Smith. You know, the, they're, they're not to say it only functions with players like that, but it's just it, it's, it runs a lot better when you have players like that. And so to have him come in with a cupboard of players that he didn't necessarily handpick, that weren't his players, that didn't really fit into the style, per se, of his offense or defense or the style that he wanted to play, uh, for them to be able to come in and get creative and to ne- not necessarily say, okay, we're going to put a square peg in a round hole, uh, to be able to find ways to to put Chris Leak in a position to be successful while also incorporating this young freshman quarterback who was a five-star uh, quarterback who had all these accolades and all these people talking about him and be able to incorporate him. And, and it's just that was what was so cool about that year is you had so many different people from the previous regime, but then you had this new young recruiting class that came in and the way they were able to mesh, the way that he was able to get them to play together, the way he was able to to get everybody to play at their at their maximum potential uh, was really special because, you know, like I said, in 08, I mean, those were all his players. Those are mm-hmm. all the guys that he had been recruited, that he brought in, that he picked and said, this is who I want. Uh, but for him to be able to do that in year two with the guys who were a part of the previous regime and who had to completely just completely throw out everything they had known before coach Meyer and kind of readopt and re readapt to this new way that we were doing things. 
man, that 06 season was special because it didn't start out that way. It didn't start out like a, a national championship team uh, should start out like, but it was just really cool to see that team kind of find themselves in the midst of that year and, and really rally together and, and really catch fire. You know, in 2006 had its challenges, obviously, you know, some really close ball games. <laughs> um, but again, you know, winning breeds winning. And, um, you know, the Urban's culture was all about that. He, his players are bought into it. Obviously, he introduced some winners that 2006 year. Tim Tebow joined the team. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have, he wasn't starting at that time, but had a huge role in what we did. Percy Harvin came in at that time and uh, a bunch of young guys who, you know, infused with the older guys. And, the culture was building to where we were going to be a a great football program. Being a great program means having next-level stars on the field. And Percy Harvin was so electric from day one that he caused the voice the Gators' Mick Hubert to spontaneously conjure a custom catchphrase just for him. The second game of the year, we were playing a Saturday night game against UCF, and uh, that's when we had the young Percy Harvin, and, and we threw a pass to Percy Harvin out in the flat, and he made that catch probably, I don't know, 10, 12 yards down the field, and then uh, ran toward the east sideline to his left, and it turned up the field, went down the sideline and into the southeast corner of the stadium, and that's when he when he made that cut. That's when I first uttered, oh, mercy, Percy, because, <laughs> uh, you know, it had been, you know, for Mick Hubert, uh, at that point, what, 16 years as the voice of the Gators, it had been, oh, my, oh, my this, oh, my that. In this particular case, I you know I didn't know going into the game that I didn't know that we had a guy that would that would uh, be able to do that, and I had this phrase, but had this phrase on ice for 16 years. That wasn't the case. I saw what he did after he made the catch and turned it up, and I thought, oh mercy, Percy! I've never <laughs> seen that. And boy, he was gone, and that was his second game. You know, 42 to nothing went over UCF, uh, and so that's that's how that became uh, to be. Oh mercy, Percy, and uh, he's the only player in my 31 years that I've ever said, oh, mercy about. Now, obviously, we, he's the only person we've had, too. So there's obviously a, co- a connection there. But uh, he, 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 he pro- in, in light of all of that, he probably had something that no one else has had in the 31 years that I've seen. Uh, because I did see the first season of Emmett Smith. And Emmett Smith had things that no one else had. But he didn't have Percy Harvin speed. Mm-hmm. Uh but he had enough speed that rarely was he caught, as we well know. Twins to the left. Now Keiston Moore in motion out to the left. Twins right with trips to the left. Now Leak dropping to throw. Looking, looking. Fires over the middle. He's got Harvin at the 50, at the 45. Harvin to the 40, 35. Down on the sideline, the 30, the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5. Oh, mercy, Percy. He's got a touchdown. Oh, my, 58 yards. That's why it was a, it was a thing to watch. Steve's offense in the 90s, and then watch a whole different way. See, Steve revolutionized the SEC, turned it on its heels in 1990s, and Urban did the same thing a decade later with a different style of offense. It, it, it was amazing to watch. And you know, obviously, it always brought comparisons. Well, they really weren't. They were, they were comparing apples to oranges. It was the best, most beautiful apple versus the best, most bright, most beautiful orange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're totally different, but they were both delicious. <laughs> On our next episode, the Gators hit the road for the first time, starting a run of nail-biting games that pushed everyone to the brink.
Until then, I'm Adam Schick, giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for tuning in to this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.